0: Welcome to Going Viral, the podcast all about viruses that spread infectious diseases. I'm Mark Honigsbaum, a medical historian and science writer. On January 14th, I tuned into the early evening news, just in time to see a familiar figure exiting a passenger jet at Wuhan International Airport. I instantly recognised him as Peter Daszak, the head of the EcoHealth Alliance in New York. Peter is a disease ecologist and an international expert on coronaviruses.
1: We expect there are probably anything between 10 and 20,000 new coronaviruses in bats around the world waiting to be discovered.
0: Last year, I spoke with Peter for an episode of Going Viral, examining the theory that SARS-CoV-2, the virus of COVID-19, originated in wild bats. Now, he was back in Wuhan, a city he's visited many times as a member of a World Health Organisation team tasked with conducting a formal probe into the pandemic's origin. Our approach
1: and our philosophy on this, they call it a mission, this mission is to say, let's go to the first known cases and let's trace back from them what their contacts are, what their social network is, where they worked, where their family worked, where the virus might have got into that population.
0: The previous week, Peter had got as far as Doha, only to have to return to New York amid Chinese concerns that he and other members of the WHO mission might be carrying the new variant coronavirus. So it was both a surprise and a relief to finally see him wheeling his suitcase across the tarmac en route to a Wuhan hotel, where he is now quarantining for two weeks.
1: Over here, you're escorted off the plane by people in hazmat suits. Down a quarantine corridor, you're tested very, very intensely. And then you're ushered onto a bus, taken to a hotel, stashed in your room after a check.
0: When I spoke to Peter last May, the National Institutes of Health had just terminated his research grant and he was at the centre of a political firestorm. The NIH did not give a reason for the termination, but it followed accusations by Trump that SARS-CoV-2 may have been deliberately engineered by the Chinese and concerns about the precise nature of coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. For many years, Peter has collaborated with the Institute's director, Shi Li, a virologist whose knowledge of bat coronaviruses has earned her the nickname, Bat Lady. Peter had hoped the conspiracy theories had been put to bed, but no sooner had he arrived in Wuhan than the departing US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, claimed he had intelligence that the virus may have accidentally escaped from the Institute as a result of substandard biohazard procedures. Others have suggested that the virus may have been deliberately engineered by the Chinese as part of a covert biowarfare program. The Chinese strongly denied the allegations, but last week the Daily Mail and other tabloid newspapers revived them and suggested that Deshaq had a conflict of interest and should recuse himself from the WHO mission. I telephoned him there on day four, to see how he was getting on, as we began our chat, Peter said this:
1: "Well, I won't be able to tell you all. You know that, don't you?"
0: Melissa, our producer, asked him why. Are we assuming, Peter, that everything you say is being listened to?
1: Look, I, I don't, I, I don't know. And you know, I've been I've been coming to China for you know 15 years now, and uh, I've never once worried about security. It's always been a very safe place. And, you know, they're, they're welcome to listen to all, what I've got to say. Everything we say is being magnified by the political, by the right wing, basically. So I've just got to be very careful what I say so I don't get misconstrued.
0: So Peter wasn't worried about Chinese espionage. He was worried that he would be misquoted by right wing critics of China and conspiracy theorists in the West. So Peter, tell us where you are. You're back in China.
1: Yeah, for the first time in um, over a year um, in Wuhan, where we think well, where the first cases were found, so effectively where we know it started or um, it was first identified.
0: Right. So what is it like? Um, paint a word picture for us.
1: Well, I mean, a very nice hotel. I've got a, a lovely suite um, with great views of the city. We're very well treated. It's a, it's a very nice hotel. But, you know, you are stuck in it and you're treated as if you're infected. You know, we've got, I've got a biohazard bag over there. All my trash goes out in a biohazard bag, double wrapped, sealed. Um, it's quite interesting. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm in a room and that's it. I'm locked in a room now for 14 days. I'm in day four of a 14 day quarantine where twice a day we get health checks. People come around, full PPE, Tyvek suits, masks, visors, gloves and do a temperature check, oxygen level check. You've got to wear a mask when you, you don't even leave the room. The food's left outside the door three times a day. There's no laundry service. You know, these little interesting quirks, you know, we've got to wash our own clothes because we're considered contaminated. You know, China's managed to avoid having, uh, you know, significant outbreaks for almost a year now. You know, they really do take it very, very seriously.
0: You're part of this uh, international team from the World Health Organization. And uh, this has been a long time coming. I imagine there's been a lot of organization, a lot of negotiations. What is your objective? What is is it you're hoping to do in China?
1: Well, the the team's goals are to start tracing back the origins of COVID effectively. You know, there has been a huge amount of interest in where this came from and with you know with, with good uh, rationale for that. If we can work out how these viruses emerge and why they Cause pandemics, we can do something about the next one. Um, So, the, the goal is to try and find out more about the first few cases and to look at where they could have got infected, eventually tracing back to animals where we're pretty sure this is an animal origin virus and find out why it spilled over into people. So, how would
0: it help to know the precise origins of the SARS CoV 2, the current coronavirus?
1: Well, you know, what, what we're really trying to do when, we, when we're looking for the origins of a disease is to say, what is the process going on that drives all of this? And, and we know there are some big themes in emerging diseases. We know that viruses have a tendency to emerge more than bacteria and be, be a bigger risk to human health. And we know that certain parts of the planet are higher risk, um, especially in tropical, subtropical regions where there are lots of wildlife. They carry a huge diversity of viruses, some of which have potential to emerge. The idea of understanding the origins in in a more detailed way is really to protect against the next one. Uh, It would help in other ways, too. If we had broadly acting vaccines and we find that, for instance, the wildlife trade is a a key risk factor, we could then go to wildlife markets and the governments of these countries where that happens could then vaccinate the people working there? Or or what if it's related to the poultry industry or pig farms? Those farmers could then be vaccinated against a whole range of potential future pandemics. So understanding the origins gives you a way to target your resources to prevent future diseases. And that includes using vaccines and developing vaccines.
0: In recent months, Peter's become the focus of critics, including mainstream scientists who say that there are legitimate, unanswered questions about the research and procedures at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In particular, critics point to gain-of-function experiments in which Xi and her colleagues deliberately manipulated coronaviruses recovered from bats to create so-called chimeric viruses, viruses with the potential to spread in humans. I put some of these questions to him. Can you just give us some perspective on this? Are you going to be looking into these claims that perhaps the Wuhan Institute of Virology was conducting gain-of-function experiments with a related bat virus?
1: I've been working with the Wuhan Institute of Virology for 15 years, and the work that they've been doing on bat viruses is largely work that they've done in collaboration with me. So I've got a very detailed knowledge of what they've been doing. But, you know, I'm putting that to one side. I'm here with a team from WHO to work with our China College to understand the origin. And our approach and our philosophy on this, they call it a mission, this mission is to say, let's go to the first known cases and let's trace back from them what their contacts are, what their social network is, where they worked, where their family worked, where the virus might have got into that population and then follow that lead. And if that lead takes us to a lab, we'll definitely start inquiring about the labs. If that lead takes us to other parts of China or even other countries, we'll follow that. We're keeping a completely open mind on this um, and trying to follow those hypotheses. You know, there are a lot of theories out there, some of them clearly not true. I mean, you know, there are folks that are saying this came from outer space. And the same theories were put out with SARS. But there there are lots of people who believe theories about the lab origin. You know, again, we've got to keep a completely open mind when we do this work and see where the evidence takes us. So far, the evidence for a lab release is not there. The fact that this originated in Wuhan and there are some labs in Wuhan That's really why those uh, ideas have come up. But, um, you know, we need a bit more than that to really follow that lead. What
0: do you say to some of your critics who say you have a conflict of interest because you've collaborated with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and that therefore you can't be objective or independent?
1: Well, you know, I'm one of um, 10 international experts that have been brought in. So it's not just my voice. I'm not the lead on this. I'm part of the team. We're, we're going to have a balance of viewpoints on that. And my potential conflicts are absolutely public. I mean, you know, I've worked with Wuhan of Virology for 15 years. We've published over a dozen papers, maybe a couple of dozen papers from our work. Um, I've given hundreds of public lectures about the work we do. All the details of the funding, all the details of the types of work we've been doing if if anyone feels there's a conflict, it's there for them to see, and they can take that or leave it. The reason that I'm doing this work is because I have such a detailed information about what's goes on in China in terms of emerging diseases i've worked on on these these viruses, in particular coronaviruses and bats. For 15 years, there's a handful of people on the planet who've been doing that. Um, So I hope that I've got something to offer to understand the origins a bit better. And that's really what I'm trying to do. And I'm putting everything into it. All of my information, data and expertise is going into this work.
0: Does it uh, concern or alarm you that some of the statements you've given, I suppose in the spirit of openness to journalists are now being quoted against you or to support these conspiracy theories. I'm thinking in particular, the Daily Mail ran a story 9th of January, quoting an interview gave where you talked about that coronaviruses could be manipulated in a lab quotes pretty easily, explaining how they spike proteins, which drive the risk of transmission. And this is a direct quote, you can get the genetic sequence, build the protein in certain it into the backbone of another virus and do some work in the lab. He said succinctly. That's now been quoted against you. Fine. I
1: mean, it's true everything I say is true. You can do that. It's done. We've done that. We, I've collaborated with people who've done that, I should say. The development of chimeric viruses has been done for years. It's used for the public good. The, the point about this is why are people doing this? You know, the average person doesn't know the sorts of technological details that are going on in these labs, and they can be fed this information said. They're clearly doing that for nefarious purposes. Absolutely not. Ridiculous. This work goes on for the good of humanity. For instance, when SARS-CoV-2 was first discovered in China, the sequence was publicly on the web. Within hours, scientists around the world were at work designing assays to test people. So that's clearly beneficial. Within days, scientists in other countries were reconstructing the virus from the genetic sequence. Now, why is that useful? Well, it means you don't have to ship viruses through some system around the globe, uh, and put people at risk through that. The gain of function or so-called gain of function experiments that people talk about with bat coronaviruses are done for the public good. The whole point of those studies is to say, here's a bat coronavirus we've found in the wild, or just even the sequence, the genetic code. We can take that genetic code We don't even need now to isolate and culture the virus. That's a risky thing to do. We can just take the genetic code, create the attachment protein it uses to get into human cells, insert that into a virus we already have in the lab, and see if that virus can then attach to human cells. It tells us whether the original virus has the potential to be a pandemic. The things that I've said over and over again have been misquoted Um, Given nefarious purposes, innuendos put on them, put in the completely the wrong context. And this is good, honest, open, transparent work that's been published. The word published is very important. Scientists publish things by giving it to the public. And there's no secrecy about that. It's completely the
0: opposite. It's no secret to you or anyone else that one of the most vociferous promoters of conspiracy theories about the supposed involvement of the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Uh, He said, Made statements that there's enormous evidence, for instance, that the coronavirus originated in the lab in Wuhan. And I think he's also recently, or the State Department issued a statement saying that they have evidence that many of the lab workers were ill with what looks like a SARS like illness in the autumn of 2019. Do you have any knowledge of any of those claims? Do you have anything to say about them?
1: If Secretary Pompeo has evidence, and he wants the WHO team to review evidence, he can simply email me or send it to the team, and we'll look at it. Absolutely. I've not seen that evidence. There was talk of evidence of lack of safety protocols in that lab before. I looked at that in great detail. Eventually, the cables were released, and you could see pretty clearly from the cables, it was not what it was purported to be. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think the politics are so intense around this. And unfortunately, the comments from the State Department on this issue have been misleading in the past. So uh, without seeing the data, we can't follow that. And that's the whole point of this. We're doing a scientific study, not a political study. We're doing a study of the origins based on data and evidence, not based on a statement or a a report in in the newspaper. That's the difference. And that's what we should be doing. You know, science should lead the way. If we're going to understand pandemic risk and protect our populations from these devastating impacts, we need to do this in a scientific way, not in a political way.
0: Right. Well, that could not be clearer. So, uh, Mike Pompeo, if you're listening, uh, send an email. I'm just a bit confused. Can you clarify, what do we believe the earliest case is now? Because I see that a report in the South China Morning Post is being referenced saying that the first patient may have been a 55-year-old Hubei resident who fell ill on November 17th. That's much earlier than what I thought was the patient zero December 1st.
1: Yeah, I mean, what what we're looking at um, initially is the big um, cluster of cases from the um, Huanan seafood market in Wuhan. And that's why we're in Wuhan right now. We will then look at evidence of earlier cases from those. If there's solid data around that and real evidence, we will absolutely follow that um, and see where that takes us. You now, this is how outbreaks are investigated. You take the, the first case you know about and you, you look at all the contacts of those first cases. You interview them, you talk to them, and you say, well, what what relationship did they have and are they positive or negative? other samples we can go back and test. And then you follow that back further and further in time until you try and get to patient zero. Now, it's very rare that you actually get to patient zero. Most outbreaks, you don't get that far into it, but you certainly can get to a geography or to a behavioral risk that drives it. And that's really what we're looking at here. It's not just the origins. It's not just where did this emerge, but why did it emerge? You know, is this about wildlife markets? Is this about farmed animals? Is it about villages and in, in, in village life? Is this about, as, as some research is suggesting in China on other outbreaks, about a cold chain and, and food products? Or even is this about a lab? You know, this is what we've got to look at. And it's the driver, not necessarily the,
0: um, the origin. What does your instinct tell you about the association of the outbreak with Hubei's seafood market? Could it be that the reason why all the early cases were connected with the market is because that's simply where the signal was picked up? It could well be that the virus was circulating elsewhere in Wuhan or even in other parts of China.
1: It's quite possible that it was simply a case of this is where the disease was first found and it was already out somewhere else or even in that place spreading human to human, you know, this community spread that we heard so much about at the beginning of the outbreak. That's not uncommon. That happens in many other outbreaks. In fact, if you look at the original SARS outbreak in in Guangdong province, there were cases for a few months in the general population before it was reported. And that's especially true for diseases that mimic other diseases that look like a, a pretty common disease and pneumonia is a common disease and pneumonia in the elderly is is common so it's quite possible that there are hidden cases that's exactly what we're going to look for we don't know how far they're going to go back. we don't, we haven't really got into that yet and uh, let's see what the report is that comes out at the end of this but that's the big question how far back does this outbreak really go and how many cases were missed as they are in a- almost every new emerging disease.
0: Can I ask you, I mean, will you or do you hope to be meeting with Shi Zhengli, the Wuhan scientist who you've collaborated with in the past?
1: Well, we, you know, we've been told uh, nothing's off the table. And again, if the, if the evidence says we need to go and talk to folks in the lab, we will certainly ask for that. And uh, we expect to uh, meet with those people. The people in the Wuhan Institute of Virology have done a huge amount of work on bat origin coronaviruses. So they do have a huge expertise in this. And there's strong evidence to suggest that this virus, sars coronavirus 2 did originate in bats. So it, it may be that we do end up talking to those people.
0: So tell us more about the link with bats.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, so we, we looked at bat coronaviruses in southern China. Um, we found, we, we looked at about 15,000 samples. We found around a few hundred different sequences of bat viruses in those samples. If you look at the estimates of unknown viral diversity, we expect there are probably anything between ten and 20,000 new coronaviruses in bats around the world waiting to be discovered. And, you know, there are two ways to do that. We can either discover them the easy way, which is go out and sample wildlife, find them, sequence and catalog them, design vaccines against them, or we can discover them the hard way, which is get infected and hope and pray that it doesn't cause another pandemic.
0: Do you know whether you'll be given access to the laboratory's records, data about experiments they may or may not have done?
1: We don't know that yet. I mean, it, again, if the evidence says we need to ask for that, we'll certainly ask for that. And I expect we'll be able to see those records. Yeah. So far, we're just in the beginnings.
0: When was the last time you, you were in China yourself uh, or uh, indeed in Wuhan?
1: Yeah, I think it was October in 2019. Prior to this outbreak, I was in China four or five times a year. This is a place where we knew there was a high risk of potentially new viruses emerging. So that's why we were here.
0: Gosh, I mean, in retrospect, have you ever thought that you may have actually been in Wuhan at exactly the time that this virus was already spreading silently in the community?
1: Uh, you know what? I haven't really. But I guess now now you mention it, that's possible. It's also possible it was spreading silent in the community somewhere else as well in China that I visited. I mean, it's um, we, we did work in Yunnan province where we found um, antibodies in local villages who live near bats, which had, who had a quite a high prevalence, so 3% almost, in a small survey. But it suggests that there is really quite a lot of spillover of these viruses into people. So it is very intriguing. When, when you work on new emerging diseases. It is sort of interesting to think, if you look at this population, you say, one of these people may have actually been infected by a virus and survived. And that virus had the potential to lead to a pandemic. And luckily, it didn't. Uh, It happens a lot more commonly than we expect.
0: What positives might come out of this visit? Not only in relation to discovering more about this outbreak, but how we in the West might collaborate with China, improve that sort of relationship so that we never get into the situation again of, of having the whole world having to fight a pandemic virus.
1: You know, one thing that's clear from my point of view is that the politics doesn't help us get to the bottom of an issue. And um, it helps politicians make their case for their side. If you really want to deal with pandemics, we're going to have to look at them from a global perspective. Viruses simply exist to reproduce and to be transmitted from one individual to another. They don't care what country you're from, what religion you are, what race, gender, age. If they can get in your body and infect you, they will. And if that then leads to them spreading, great. So thinking that one country can protect itself against this sort of thing by just blocking off and not coordinating with that other country is not a good strategy. We know where uh, emerging diseases tend to originate and those countries are often resource poor countries, uh, developing countries in the tropics. We know where emerging diseases have a huge impact and that's in the richer countries that depend on global travel and trade. And we've seen what a pandemic can do to our global economic system. And the wealthier countries have taken an incredible high mortality impact too. So to prevent that ourselves, you know, to to protect our own population, our own economies, our own national security, we're going to have to work with other countries. I think this trip is important in that respect, in that this is international scientific collaboration um, between China and the rest of the world, on a very sensitive issue. It's a great step forward in
0: that sense. Well, um, I wish you the best of luck, Peter. And what, you're on day five of quarantine? Is that right? Or day? Uh,
1: just finishing day four of
0: quarantine. I mean, it's two weeks, is it, in, in China? Is it... Yeah, two weeks. Can you give us some insight into how you're keeping positive and physically healthy are you are you doing what heather watson's doing i don't know if you saw that she ran five miles in her room
1: <laughs> i'm not doing that what well, well, we've got is you know we've all got a little um, yoga mat and some weights and i brought my own weights with me too and uh, you know i was ready for this so psychologically you've got to do things like block off your bedroom from the other part of the room where you do your work so i've got an area that i call my office it's this little segment i'm in right now then when i have lunch or dinner have that somewhere else so um it's like i'm moving to a different place the gym is over there in the corner the tv only goes on for certain leisure times during the day so you kind of fragment your day up like that and we we are in incredibly busy mode right now with eight hour six hour meetings and then pre-meetings and post-meetings and um that keeps you busy. And then you've got office work from home to do too.
0: It sounds like you're very well organised. and I, mean, I wish you best of luck. It can't be easy nevertheless, but you're involved in historic and important work.
1: This is what we do at EcoHealthWise. We look for the origins of pandemics and try and stop them. And this is um, something we, we should be focusing on. And I'm just glad to be part of it. And anything I can do to help, I'll do.
0: So what's your timeline, Peter?
1: Well, we, we're here until just before Chinese New Year, which is on or about the 11th of February. So we'll we'll be getting ready to draft a report either towards the end of the trip or shortly after the trip. And I'm sure it'll come out fairly quickly.
0: Thank yep. you, Peter.
1: Our pleasure, Mark.
0: Stay safe.
1: Couldn't be safer. I'm in a lockdown hotel in China. There's nowhere safer on the planet. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not infected. So that's good. good. Okay, cheers.
0: The problem with conspiracy theories is that they're impervious to logic and scientific standards for weighing evidence. Peter is not only trapped in his bedroom, but in an alternate universe where two and two makes five. He's not saying it's impossible that COVID could have been the result of a laboratory accident, but that the more parsimonious and likely explanation is that it emerged from a natural spillover event. The problem is that the Wuhan Institute is now at the centre of an international propaganda battle that pits the Chinese Communist Party leadership against a shifting constellation of conspiracy theorists and right-wing critics. Thanks for listening to Going Viral, The Covid Files. Please subscribe to our series so you never miss an episode. And do stay tuned for our new series of Going Viral. In Vax and the Facts, I'll be taking a deep dive into the history and science of vaccines, starting with a behind-the-scenes look at the extraordinary race against time to create successful vaccines for COVID-19. We were in a race against this virus ever since January of last year you perfect your platform technology so that you
1: dramatically diminish the time from the identification and sequence
0: and the development of a vaccine already in phase one, phase two trials. Follow us on Twitter at Viral underscore pod. Our producer is Melissa Fitzgerald, and this has been The COVID Files.